In this video, you are going to see what Jacob was talking about when he told his sons to gather around right before he died. Gather around me, boys. And he tells each one of them the fate and the future of their tribes. The tribe of Judah and the tribe of Joseph will be our focus tonight. All right. So take a look at this. We know that this is one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. And we hear it around Christmas time or around Hanukkah. And it is this, and it's Isaiah chapter 9. And it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, and peace there shall be, and upon the throne of David, that's key, and upon his kingdom in order uh, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And that's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. That's speaking of the Messiah. Everybody knows that. And we know as believers in Yeshua or Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that he fulfilled this, that this is speaking of him. So Jacob has all his boys gather around him. And I'm going to focus in on, on uh, Judah and Joseph. So uh, here he says that, uh, he says, then Jacob called his sons and he said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what will happen to you in days to come or your tribes or your lineage. And that's basically what he, what he tells them here. And then he says, assemble, assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And then he goes through Reuben and he goes through Simeon and he's doing this in, in their birth order, by the way. And then he goes to Judah. And then he says, Judah, and this is why people believe and they understand that the prophecy about Judah was speaking of the future Messiah. And he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand uh, shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares arouse him? And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And that word tribute is actually, in the Hebrew, it's Shiloh. And Shiloh, all of the... Um, all of the rabbis and the teachers of that time understood that Shiloh meant the Messiah, the anointed one who was coming. So, so the staff, the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes to him. So the scepter shall not depart. That meant the judicial power. In other words, the, um, the right for the tribe of Judah to uh, rule and reign, to judge, to even perform capital punishment if needed. And this was something 
that was recorded by Josephus and other historians during the time of around 6 to 7 AD. So after the birth of Jesus, it was right around seven years, maybe eight years after the birth of Jesus. And, uh, and they, were, they were in the streets, and who's they? They were the elders, the Sanhedrin. And they were out in the streets, and the members of the Sanhedrin found themselves deprived of their right to rule over uh, life and death, and, and they covered their heads with ashes and their bodies with sackcloth, and they actually taught, uh, thought that the Torah, the Word of God, had failed, and they should have known better because the Word of God never fails. God's Word always comes to pass. All of these prophetic scriptures about Jesus, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, they all came to pass perfectly. And that gives us great hope because we know the future promises that God has are going to come to pass as well. And that gives us security and hope. We know that God is in control of everything. He is in charge of it all, all of it. And so what was happening is right around uh, 7 AD, King Herod's son and successor, Herod Arculus, was dethroned and banished to Vienna, the city of Gaul. And um, he was the second son of Herod the Great. So the older son of Herod uh, Antipater was, he was murdered by Herod the Great along with the other family members. This Herod guy was not so great. He was a horrible guy. Herod was awful. He tried to, Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby, when he found out the wise men who, who uh, the Magi who said that we want to find this Messiah to worship him. We know a king is born. And Herod said, well, tell me about him. He was playing with him. And he wanted to find out where he was so he could murder him. And then he ended up murdering, and this is recorded in history, murdering all the baby boys two years and under in that whole region. It was a horrible thing. This guy was a horrible, horrible man. So so uh, he murdered his sons and family members, this Herod the Great, and was, uh, and it was quibbed at that time that it was safer to be a dog in that household than to be a family member of Herod. <laughs> so, so this is what was going on during that time. So after the death of Herod, around 4 BC, we think um, Herod... His, his second-born son had been placed over Judea as the uh, ruler and then by Caesar Augustus. So then he wasn't accepted. The people didn't like him. They wanted him out. And then he was removed uh, right around 7 AD. So he was replaced by a Roman procurator named Caponius. And, he, and this guy had the legal power so the legal power of the Sanhedrin was immediately restricted, and the adjacent, uh, the adjudication, excuse me, of capital cases or capital punishment to, to rule their, their own people was taken away. And this was the normal Roman policy. Um, this transfer of power was mentioned in the Talmud and by the historian, the Jewish Roman historian Josephus. 
So what was happening was the Sanhedrin were covering themselves with ashes and putting sackcloth on, and they were in the streets of Jerusalem, and they were crying out, the scepter has departed from Judah, but Shiloh hasn't come. And they were upset. They, they thought the word of God, the Torah, was wrong, that Shiloh hadn't come, and that God was wrong. But there was perhaps an eight-year-old boy who may have even been watching him do this, named Yeshua, who was the Messiah, who was born in Bethlehem, who was later raised in Nazareth. He may have been watching them and saying, I'm here. <laughs> We don't know, but wouldn't that be something if that's what was going on? So this is what we see in this prophecy, and um, this is recorded by others who weren't even Christians, like Josephus, the Roman historian Josephus, and uh, this is something that really happened, and the Messiah had come. Shiloh had come, and he was of the tribe of Judah, because Mary was was a virgin, right? And she, uh, her womb was miraculously opened up by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was placed in her womb, and he was of the lineage of Mary, blood-wise, but also of God. So he's a son of God, and he was also a son of man through Mary. Now, Mary was of the lineage of David, but her line came through Nathan and not Solomon. Because remember, Solomon's line could not have the Messiah. We remember that. And we know that um, uh, that it was uh, David's son, Je- Jeconiah, who was the last of David's line to sit on the throne. Remember that? And the, there was a blood curse on this line. So this curse was was sidestepped by the virgin birth. Remember, Mary was of, uh, came through David, but then through Nathan, his son Nathan, and uh, not through Solomon. So Joseph, Mary's husband Joseph, who wasn't really the bloodline uh, father of Jesus because she was a virgin, so Joseph was of the bloodline of Solomon. So Jesus had the rightful, um, he had the rightful lineage to the throne through both of them, but he perfectly had the lineage and the rightful the right to the throne through Mary and being the son of God. So this is just amazing that this stuff was happening, you guys. And uh, the scripture definitely tells us the truth all the time. All right, so that's uh, Judah's prophecy, and there's a little bit more, and it says that Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So now I'm going to go on down to Joseph or Yosef. And here down here, we see Joseph gets an amazing prophecy from his father, Jacob, as well. And this one is even more so a blessing. And, he, and remember, Joseph's two sons, they become tribes. Remember, Jacob said, they will be my sons, just as any of my other sons, they are Israel. And so Joseph's two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, become 
tribes of Israel, of the house of Joseph. And uh, it's an amazing thing because he gets double the blessing, two tribes from his lineage. And we know that Joseph's name means double. So it's uh, it's really cool stuff. So, so chapter 49, verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall, over the wall. So a fruitful bough by a spring. You know, trees that are planted by the water, as the Bible says, trees that are planted by the water are healthy and strong. The roots run deep. Their fruit produces um, very much so, produces an abundant amount of juicy, sweet, good fruit because of the tree that's constantly being watered, and it's very healthy. So that's what we're seeing with Joseph's prophecy of his tribe and his future. And then Jacob continues, the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. Isn't that awesome? His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Wow. From there is the shepherd, capital S, the stone, capital S, of Israel. Remember the chief cornerstone that uh, was rejected by the workers in Solomon's temple? Like there was a story going around during Jesus' time. They all understood it. They all knew it. The Jewish people understood the story that the, the uh, rock quarry workers were making these stones far away from the temple site because no chisel or hammer or work could be heard on that temple mount. This was what God said. So the guys on the temple mount, they were just to place the stones to, to erect the, the temple, but not to build on the stones. No hammer or chisel could be heard there, right? So the rock quarries sent this, this first, they sent this stone, the chief cornerstone, to the workers up on the hill, and they didn't recognize it. And so they rejected it, and they tossed it down the hill, and they got the the other stones started coming up to the temple, and they started placing them. And then the temple was almost done, and they put they gave word back to the rock quarry. They said, "Hey, where's the chief cornerstone? We we didn't get that. Where's the the crowning stone, the capstone, right?" And the rock quarry sent word back to them, saying, "We sent that to you first a long time ago." And they realized, "Oh no, we rejected that. We 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 tossed it away. It went down the hill." And they found it in the thicket on that Temple Mount Hill. They found it down there and they found it in the thicket. And they brought it up and they placed it in its rightful position as the chief cornerstone and the temple was complete. Jesus referred to himself as the chief cornerstone. You see the picture here? And so when we see Jacob's uh, prophesy, uh, prophecy here, the shepherd, from there is the shepherd, the, the stone of Israel, the stone of Israel. That's speaking of the Messiah as well, you guys. So Joseph gets a great prophecy of a messianic, and I believe it's more of the kingdom age that's coming, the thousand-year reign of the Messiah Christ from Jerusalem. And I believe that that's what Joseph's prophecy is more about than uh, Judas. I think Judas was more a prophecy about his first coming to be to pay for all our sins, to be crucified, you know, the suffering servant, as Isaiah fifty three shows us. So, 
That's what we see there. So then verse 25, Jacob continues, By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. So so he will help you by the Almighty, which is Shaddai. That means like the Lord, the Almighty, powerful God. And then Jacob continues the blessings. So he keeps saying blessings over and over for Joseph. So the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of Abraham and Isaac, Yitzhak, his 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 grandfather and his father. That's what Jacob's talking about. And they had huge blessings. And he's saying that Joseph's blessings are going to go beyond that. And then up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. And the blessings, and here the footnote says, the blessings of the eternal mountains, the, the bounties of the everlasting hills. That speaks of the thousand-year reign, the kingdom age, you guys. So may they be on the head of Joseph and on the, bow, on the, the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Set apart. That's another term for the Messiah, the anointed one, set apart. And so that's what we're seeing Yaakov, Jacob, say about his two sons, the, the two biggest prophecies, Judah and Joseph. Now, we know that later on, uh, we see that uh, Ezekiel, right? We know that Ezekiel, he prophesies about the... Um, he prophesies about the, the dry bones coming back to life, and it's speaking of the nation of Israel. It was dead, and now it's coming back to life, and that's in Ezekiel chapter 36. And then he says, God tells him, take a stick and write on it, Joseph, I'm sorry, Judah first, and then Joseph, and take these two sticks and combine them in your hand and hold them up as one stick and he did so. And God was telling him that this means that, that Israel will never be divided again. Remember, there was the northern kingdom, which was Israel. And then there was the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And some people say the northern kingdom of, you know, like Joseph or Judah. And here he says to Ezekiel, combine them as one stick in your hand. I believe he was holding it like a cross. Judah and Joseph. But that's just my opinion. So... But anyway, so he's holding that and he's speaking of this future time where Israel comes back together. And that's already in play now, you guys. Since 1948, they've been a nation again for 2,000 years. Almost they were dispersed among the nations. Um, you know, that one uh, horrible uh, emperor of Rome, Vaspian, I think it was Vaspian, um, you know, they were all really bad. A lot of them were really bad. But he tried to wipe Israel off of the map and he renamed that land Palestinia, Assyria Palestinia, which became Palestine. And he was trying to erase Israel off the map. But he, all he was doing was just fulfilling scripture because <laughs> Ezekiel says they're going to come back together from the four corners, from all the world. And, and God says, I will bring them back. And he did. He did. He does. They're, they're there. They're in Israel now. And I think it's just amazing. And I love Israel as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah. I love Israel. 
Uh, my wife and I have been given money to the Fellowship of Christians and Jews for many, many years now. And we love the fact that they bring people from other countries, poor Israelis, and they help them get into the land of Israel, their homeland, and they even help them beyond that, getting jobs and other things like that. And I just think it's a an awesome thing to be a part of that, to get to be a little part of that. So, all right. So then, um, so Jacob gives these two boys a tremendous prophecy, both of them. And they were both prophecies of the future Messiah. And that's from for Judah and for Jacob. And also in Ezekiel, we know that there's this corner. Um, he's getting, a, I think it's in Ezekiel chapter 48. There's this description of the, the outer gateways, the gates that lead into this new city, the kingdom age city of Jerusalem. And there's this one uh, corner where we know that Joseph's gate is right there on that corner. And then Judah's will be over here. So Joseph's gate is right there. And we know that his name is on it. And that's where the East Gate is. That Northern East Gate. That's where the East Gate is. And Ezekiel talks about this East Gate over and over and over. And how the Messiah enters through it. And how there's water flowing out of the side of it. So it all speaks of Jesus, you guys. It's just amazing stuff. It's so good. So good. And then we could see that... Um, uh, that Jacob is just about ready to die, and he, you know, he's a very, very old man at this point. And um, and we see in chapter fifty, I'll get to that verse right there. So, in chapter fifty, we see then Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him, and he kissed him because Jacob did die. He passed away. He pulled his legs up onto the bed. And the boys were very sad to see their father go. And Joseph was very sad. And he fell on his face. He wept over him and he kissed him. And Joseph commanded all his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. And for 40 days they were required um, for it. Uh, were, were required for it. For that is how many days is required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. And by the way... The pharaohs were the only ones that would get, they would get like 72 days of, uh, of weeping when they died. And here we see Jacob, this Hebrew man, the, the, who the Egyptians really didn't like for the most part, and he gets almost the same amount of days as the pharaohs. That's how much respect they had for Jacob. And then verse 4, And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in, in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my, in my tomb that I have hewn out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. That's uh, a big amount of people, isn't it? And they were showing great honor towards Jacob. As well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house, only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. 
And there they went up with him, uh, both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And then verse 10, Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they lamented there for a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father for seven days. And the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, and they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram. It is, it is beyond the Jordan. All right. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which uh, Abraham brought, bought with the, f- with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it must be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all of the evil that we did to him. So they don't trust Joseph. And I think this breaks Joseph's heart. And so they sent messages to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please, and it sounds like they're making this up, doesn't it? Please say, uh, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph saw right through them, didn't he? And then Joseph's brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. So here they are bowed down again to them, to, to Joseph. And then verse 19, but Joseph said to them, and this is so tender-hearted of Joseph and so kind, uh, so full of chesed, which is loving kindness and tender mercies in the Hebrew, which is the same for grace. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Wow, that was powerful. For am I in the place of God? Do you understand that in your life? We all need to keep that in mind. Are we in the place of God? Am I God? No, no way. And that's what helps us forgive. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for the good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Numerous people. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Wow. So good. The forgiveness and the love and the kindness of Joseph. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph, lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. Isn't that awesome? And the children also of, of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. Wow. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made his sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry 
up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then we know later Joseph was actually, they carried Joseph when the great exodus happens from Egypt. They carried Joseph's bones up into the promised land. That was a very important thing that they did. And his bones are there today. Isn't that cool? I mean, Joseph's in heaven. His spirit's in heaven right now, but his, his bones are still there in the land of Israel near Shechem. And many of you, you Israelis, you know that. And uh, it's an amazing thing because it wasn't long ago that, um, remember the, um, there was a peace accord with Bill Clinton, and I think it was Yitzhak Rabin and Arafat, uh, Yasser Arafat, and uh, it was a seven-year peace agreement where Israel gave up a bunch of land and, and all these different things so that, that they could try and have peace. And, um, and they gave all this land to him. Part of that land was, it was, it was right there where Joseph's bones were, where his tomb is in Shechem. And, um, and then later, about seven years later, like it was halfway through that seven-year period, actually, I believe, the Palestinians uh, had a big uprising and they killed a couple of Israeli soldiers that were guarding Joseph's tomb there. And then they, they burned all the Jewish books that were inside of this, this place, his tomb area. And they burned the inside of it and they graffitied the walls. They desecrated it and uh, had no respect for Joseph's tomb whatsoever. And to me, it was just an abomination of what they did. It was a horrible thing. And, um, and then later, though, the Israelis came back. They secured it. They came back. And then the citizens even came back in busloads just to pray and to worship God right there in Joseph's tomb. And they remembered their brother, and they actually wept over their brother Joseph. The, the Israelis today weeped, wept over their ancient brother and their grandfather, Joseph. So anyway, that's just a little history behind what was going on during all this. So our next episode, we are going to get into the story of Moses and how Moses was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. You're going to see it. I'm going to give you a little sneak preview here. So there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, the scripture says. And he went and he killed. He, he had the, the Hebrew baby boys killed in that region. Now, what did Herod do? Herod did the same thing, trying to kill Jesus, right? So we're seeing a picture of Moses being a type of Christ, and it goes be way beyond that. And I can't wait to get into that episode with you. It's, I'm really excited about it, you guys, and uh, really stoked that we're going to do it. So, all right, until then... May God bless you, may he keep you, may he shine his loving face upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace.